Welcome to the MOD Report. This is the show where we talk all things HR and the crazy things we go through in the hospitality industry. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Giffen. We are streaming this podcast episode live via Facebook and YouTube today. After the live stream, you can access this episode and show notes anywhere you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeart, and many more. For the next 20 minutes, I'm going to talk about the racial bias seen in the workplace from my perspective as an HR practitioner over the last 14 years, and what I believe can be done today to not only create an organizational culture of inclusion, but a culture of accountability and one of action towards diversity, not just lip service. First and foremost, thank you to everyone who sent me their tweets, their direct messages, emails, and comments in preparation for today's show. Those questions and thoughts have been integrated into this episode. And for those of you watching live, feel free to drop your questions in the feed. And at the end of the show, I'll do my best to screen through those and provide some thoughts. In my 14 years as a human resource professional and educator, I have observed workplace policies made by individuals that did not reflect the diversity of the organization. For example, there were and continue to be policies that don't address the racial bias, workplace equity, or the consequences towards an employee demonstrating such bias or discrimination in the workplace. Moreover, company cultures did not promote an anti-racism approach. And although there are federal, state, and local laws that ban discriminatory practices, the reality in the workplace is that it occurs. It occurs through implicit bias, microaggressions, and a lack of equity in workplaces since the inception of the United States of America's Declaration of Independence. So, what is racism? Racism is a marriage of racist policies and racist ideas that produces and normalizes racial inequities. It can be seen in many forms. Some of the most subtle, and common ways are through implicit bias and microaggressions. In his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, author Ibram Kendi defines racist and anti-racist. He defines racist as one who is supporting a racist policy through their actions or inaction or expressing a racist idea. Whereas an anti-racist is one who is supporting an anti-racist policy through their actions or expressing an anti-racist idea. You see, racism isn't so obvious 
at times. There are many forms in which racism occurs, and that's what I wish to focus on first. Moving forward today, I want to focus on three areas, implicit bias, microaggressions, and equity. Let's first understand the meaning of implicit bias and microaggressions, and then I'll briefly discuss the lack of equity in workplaces, followed by some examples of what organizations can do today to make their workplace culture more inclusive. And then, of course, in about 15 minutes, we'll take some questions, should you have any, uh, if you're joining us live today. So first, implicit bias. Formally defined, implicit bias is the attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, actions, and decision in an unconscious manner. Most people are not even aware of their implicit bias or how it affects their judgment. For example, let's take a recruiter that is screening resumes. The recruiter is looking at two resumes. Each resume meets the minimum job qualifications, and each candidate has the same exact years of experience, education level, and are equally qualified to interview for the job. However, the recruiter can only select one resume to call back for an interview. And so the, the recruiter looks at each of those resumes and looks at the names of the candidates. And one name is easier to pronounce than the other. Yet, the hiring manager, likely in a subconscious way, selects to interview the candidate that has the easier name to pronounce. This is an example of implicit bias. In his article republished in Esquire magazine earlier this week titled, A Letter to My White Friends, Chris Lambert, a Harvard graduate and former Olympic sprinter, said, quote, being black is not the thing that needs to be understood in order to allow black equality to progress. What you need to understand is why you permit our equality to be prevented, end quote. And he's right. And it's not just in the United States, folks. It's other parts of the world, including uh, places like Great Britain, which may well explain why Prince Harry, the grandson of the Queen of England, fled his country to Los Angeles, California, with Meghan Markle and their child. Chris Lambert argues that you don't have to be black to know how to help. Just like you don't need to be a woman to understand that women deserve equal pay. And you don't need to be gay to understand that gay people deserve to love who they want. You help by not being silent. You help by not pretending that everything is fine. You help by speaking up in the boardroom when you hear implicit bias or microaggressions occurring. You help by writing, implementing, and enforcing anti-racism policy in the workplace and hold people accountable to those policies. And I don't care if they are your top salesperson of the year 
or your CEO that you make excuses for by saying, well, that's just the way he is. He's always been that way. That behavior and that attitude must stop. It needs to stop. The company's bottom line and financial sustainability depends on it. And if you don't believe that it does not impact the company or its profits, take a moment later today and Google CrossFit Gym's founder, Greg Glassman, who recently resigned this week, amidst what one person's idiotic statement can do to dismantle a $4 billion company. Or in another example this past week, J.K. Rowling's statement about the transgender community. Because of these two individual actions, the consequences to their brand are tarnished, if not dismal, to say the least. Let's now look at microaggressions. One way that implicit bias can manifest is in the form of microaggressions, which is defined as subtle verbal or nonverbal insults or belittling messages communicated towards a marginalized person, often by someone who may be well-intentioned, but unaware of the impact their words or actions have on the individual. Although microaggressions generally aren't meant to hurt, they do. Under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, it is illegal to ask job candidates questions like, what country are you from? This is considered illegal under federal law as it questions one's national origin. It's a form of microaggression. This law has been around for 56 years. For 56 years, and it still happens today in 2020. Okay, so what about outside of the hiring practice? What about employee to employee, perhaps occurring in the break room? Microaggressions can sound like, wow, your English sounds really good. Or you don't act like a normal black person. Or what about um, you're really pretty for being a dark-skinned girl. Or here's one that I personally experienced in my lifetime among the religious Christian community. You don't look gay. The impact to the workplace is obvious. Microaggressions can have a detrimental impact on customers and clients through their employees. Thus, it's dwindling the potential of successful customer service and engagement. Microaggressions hurt, even if your intentions are meant to be well. They're not. Let's now look at a lack of equity in the workplace. So first, what is the difference between equality and equity? Equality is defined as treating everyone the same and giving everyone access to the same opportunities. Meanwhile, equity refers to proportional representation by race, 
class, gender, etc. in those same given opportunities. Laws such as the Civil Rights Act of 1964 or the Equal Protection Clause in the Supreme Court's 1954 decision of Brown versus Board of Education, those provide equality. Access to public education regardless of the color of your skin, that is equality. However, examples of Equity can be seen with affirmative action or the Help America Vote Act, which requires that people with disabilities be provided access to polling places and voting systems that are equal to that of an abled body person. Likewise, the American Disabilities Act or ADA requires that persons with disabilities have equal access to public facilities. To achieve equity, policies and procedures may result in unequal distribution of resources. For example, need-based financial aid. These are reserves monies that are specific towards uh, or for income, uh, low-income driven students. And although unequal, this is considered equitable because it is necessary to provide access to higher education for low-income students. And I was one of those students in 1998 when my family was just below the federal poverty line, and I therefore could not access higher education because we couldn't afford it. And so although I was equal under the law, equal, equality, as an American citizen, it wasn't equitable because I didn't have access to higher education. Until the financial aid and the Pell Grants were available, that made the situation equitable. A year after the Civil Rights Act was signed into law, even President Lyndon B. Johnson recognized the issue of equity. In 1965, he recognized the issue of equity when he said, quote, you do not take a person who for years has been hobbled by chains and liberate him, bring him to the starting line of a race and then say, you are free to compete with all of the others and still justly believe that you have been completely fair. You see, doing so is not equitable. Workplaces today need to become more equitable in their hiring practices, training and development, and promotions and tenure. Here are a few ideas that I have in which organizations can do today, right now, to eliminate racism in the workplace while building a culture of inclusion. Number one. Start with implementing and enforcing anti-racism policies in the workplace. Ibram Kendi says it best in his book when it comes to policy. By policy, we're talking about the written and unwritten laws, rules, procedures, processes, regulations, and guidelines that govern people. There is no such thing as a non-racist or a race-neutral policy. Every policy in every institution, in every community, in every nation, 
is producing or sustaining either racial inequity or equity between racial groups. We need to implement and enforce anti-racism policies. Number two, training and development. Train employees, role play, follow up, and train them again, over and over and over again. It is not a one-time deal. If you don't have an experienced HR professional or someone in-house that is familiar with the topic of diversity, inclusion, and equity in your learning and development office, then there are several fine organizations out there that can help you. For example, Ready, Set, based out of Oakland, California, where founder Yvonne Hutchinson started this company. Ready, Set provides solutions for organizations seeking to build and maintain a workforce of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Again, uh, if you want to go to their website, I'll put it in the show notes at the end. It is TheReadySet.co. Again, that's TheReadySet.co. And by the way, uh, Yvonne has no idea I'm promoting this, but I did get the opportunity to meet and talk with Yvonne at the How I Built This Summit in San Francisco this past year uh, when she was my mentor. Uh, Wonderful company. Great consultants. Highly recommend if you need someone to come in and provide that diversity, equity, inclusion training I highly recommend that organization. But again, there's plenty out there. Get the training done. The training is needed for diversity, inclusion, and equity, and it is clearly lacking in organizations today. Or it is not taken seriously by the, by the employees or by the board of directors or whomever. They just think it's a joke or it's, oh, it's just another training, just like how we treat sexual harassment. It is not a joke. Train, role play, and retrain and follow up. Let me give you the third and last recommendation. And that's the third one here. It is to address the implicit bias and microaggressions that are occurring and do so immediately. Do not wait. You need to challenge it when it occurs. And personally, for most situations that may be in a group setting, like a meeting with colleagues in a boardroom, I would do it there in front of everybody. For example, I would point someone out and literally say to them, what do you mean exactly when you say he's from Mexico, he must be lazy? What does that mean? Tell me more. Because if we don't speak up and we remain silent, that's the problem. You, I, we need to stand up and not be silent anymore. We can no longer accept other people's behavior in the boardroom because, well, that's just the way Bob is. You are not only asking for a sizable lawsuit, but you're asking for a potential shutdown of your business because of the bad PR. And at the end of the day, who does that benefit in the end? So in conclusion, you may say to yourself, it's uncomfortable to talk about this stuff in the workplace. My managers and leaders, they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. That's the problem. 
That's the problem. It's uncomfortable. So we may run away from it and bury it. We ignore it. We put our head in the sand and we stay silent. If that is you, you're the problem. You cannot be silent anymore. As Brene Brown says, you need to lean into the discomfort. That is when you're most vulnerable and that's when people see you for who you are and your well-intent. We cannot be silent anymore. When you see or hear the implicit bias in the workplace or the microaggressions that are occurring in the break room or the lack of equity in the workplace, you have to do something. Raise your voice. Talk to your boss one-on-one. If that doesn't work, go to HR. And if that doesn't work, file a complaint with your state office like California's Department of Fair Employment Housing or the federal equivalent of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Or yes, you may and should resign your position if it is in direct violation of your personal core values. Values that should never, ever alter for the sake of any organization. All right. Well, it looks like nothing further. So thanks for those emojis and your feedback and more so thanks for tuning in. If you want to keep the conversation going, feel free to post your thoughts in the Facebook and YouTube thread. Or of course, you can visit my website, inospire.com or come on over to Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram. Simply uh, search me by name and together let's build a workplace cultures that are inclusive and equitable. The MOD Report is sponsored by InnoSpire, where cultures are built through innovation and inspiration. I'm Dr. Giffen, and we'll see you next time.